Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Fastamai and welcome to Spotlight with me, Sarah Hendy. On the programme this evening, performer Jeff Collier has a few exciting dates for our diaries and we'll be speaking to artist Graham Ryder at his new exhibition at the Isle Gallery. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, email me via spotlight at manxradio.com and you can listen again to today's programme on demand or as a podcast on the Manx Radio website where you can also subscribe to the series so you don't miss a thing. Jeff Collier joins us first this evening to take us back to the 80s. The 1880s, that is. Well, indeed. I mean, the the Manx Gilbert and Sullivan Society actually performed the Back to the 80s uh, last year. Um, but this is back to the 1880s with uh, a miscellany of Gilbert and Sullivan's greatest hits. Uh, we're doing a concert next Saturday, the 30th of March, uh, in Douglas. And yeah, it was John Elliott's great idea, I think, to, to theme it back to the 1880s. Um, and we really have some of uh, Gilbert and Sullivan's greatest songs, choruses, duets, quartets, um, about 18 items from seven different operas. Uh, we're using 12 different soloists, and it's actually going to be one, one of our best spring concerts for a long time, I think. It, it promises to be a, an absolutely super evening out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, what an extravaganza. Mm. Go on, drop a few names. Well, we have Mike Corkill, uh, the tenor, with his legendary top D flat. That's worth a, an evening out at St Andrews just for that. We have Karen Elliott, multi-Cleveland medal winner. Uh, who's another of our soloists. Uh, I won't mention myself. Uh, but, we, we, yeah, we've got Morag Withy, we've got Paul Lewin, we've got uh, Kay Harker. We've got a, a, a star-studded lineup really, 12 soloists in a, in a programme of about an hour and a half. Wow, and can you hint at any um, any operettas that we, that we might sort yeah, of well, encounter? well, there are a couple of real favourites from the Pirates of Penzance, uh, the, the great double chorus. And, in fact, we have a chorus of about 36 I think was the number at, at Friday's last re- uh, penultimate rehearsal. So we've got a really stonking chorus line as well. So they'll be giving us the famous double chorus when the foeman bears his steel from the Pirates of Penzance. We have uh, about four favourites from the Mikado. We have several from the Gondoliers. Uh, but also we've got uh, items from some of the lesser performed operas like uh, Utopia Limited. We've got a wonderful chorus from Utopia Limited. We have another one from um, from uh, Princess Ida, um, a ladies' cho- chorus and, and a soprano aria. Ruddy Gore gets a look in, the Yeoman of the Guard. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a cracking night, it really is, and a wonderful programme put together by our musical director, John Elliott. And you, you yourself take part in a number of different, um, different types of performance. Um, what is it about Gilbert and Sullivan, you think, that makes their work so timeless? Well, it's great music. It's, it's toe-tapping, it's dramatic, it's, it's beautiful music. And that, coupled with Gilbert's wonderful lyrics, uh, really is a magical formula that I've spoken about many a time. It's the fusion of the two. I don't think Sullivan gets a fair look in uh, with classical music. Um, uh, he doesn't get the, the credit that he should do. Um, but it's, so he did write some great music, but it's when you couple him with, uh, with the genius of Gilbert's poetry and words that uh, he really comes to life. So that's it for me. It's the, it's the, 
the combination of Gilbert and Sullivan, um, never quite the same on their own, although genius is in their own right, but put them together and it's absolutely magical, to both to sing and to listen to as well. And what would you say to anyone who, who hadn't somehow encountered the works of Gilbert and Sullivan? How would you encourage them to come along? Well, it is possible there is someone out there who's never heard of Gilbert and Sullivan or who confuses them with Gilbert O'Sullivan. But yeah, get yourselves along to St Andrew's Church on Glen Crutchery Road next to St Ninian's Church at 8 o'clock this coming Saturday, the 30th of March, and come and see what it's all about. It really is a splendid evening's entertainment. And if people do, people need to buy tickets. No, you don't need to buy tickets. There'll be there'll be ample room in the venue, uh, so you can just turn up on the door. But just remember, it's eight o'clock, not seven thirty. Mm-hmm. What what else has, have you been up to recently? Because you've got you've got quite a lot on your plate at the minute. I don't really know how you're keeping up with it. Uh, well, it is a busy time. It, it's a great musical island, as you know, and uh, there's all, always lots going on. But in a, a completely different vein to Gilbert and Sullivan, we've put together a, a choir in Ramsey. Uh, to perform on Maundy Thursday, the 18th of April, uh, and a Passiontide cantata called Olivet to Calvary. Now, this piece used to be performed on a regular basis um, every year by societies. In fact, the Meadowside Choral Society tend to perform it every couple of years, even even today. Um, it was written in 1904, or published in 1904. Uh, the composer is J.H. Maunder, and it's a very atmospheric, very dramatic uh, and lovely uh, piece, very contemplative, uh, but also uh, exciting too. We're putting it on the day before Good Friday, that's Monday, Thursday, the 18th of April, uh, at Trinity United Reformed Church in Ramsey. The choir is uh, about 40 strong. Um, we have great soloists, Michael Corkhill, Karen Elliott. Um, we have uh, myself singing one or two. Uh, we're being conducted by John Elliott and our organist is David Greenwood, the Reverend David Greenwood, re- re- uh, recently retired as Vicar of St Paul's in Ramsey. Um, and again, a great chorus lineup um, to, to perform this very powerful piece. So, so in complete contrast to Gilbert and Sullivan, we'll have that coming up on the 18th of April. And it's so nice to have such a strong lineup up in Ramsey. And um, am I right in thinking that Trinity is actually on the market at the moment? So this could be, we could be sort of uh, enjoying some of our final performances at Trinity. Yeah, in the building itself. I mean, the church isn't closing down, but the building is is on the market. Yes, uh, and looking for for somewhere else to worship. So it may well be one of the last uh, large musical performances in that venue. And it is a good venue. It's a great organ. So uh, it is a super opportunity to come along and hear uh, a wonderful piece and to, to get you in the mood for for Holy Week, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and soon after that, you'll be launching straight into rehearsals for yet another performance. Well, yes, yes. 29th of April is the first rehearsal for the, se- the 2019 season for Summer Singers, which is our community choir uh, in the north based uh, at St Paul's Church Hall in Ramsey. I'm privileged to be the musical director of that choir. Uh, again, we had uh, a super choral sound last year, upwards of uh, 50 singers. In fact, 60, I think, turned up at one rehearsal. So, um, And it's open to anyone who fancies having a sing, who used to sing and hasn't done it for years, who's never done it, uh, any age, any gender. Very, very welcome to come along to the first rehearsal there at St Paul's Church uh, Hall on the 29th of April. 7.15 we start, and we go right through to uh, September when we... Uh, perform our final concert. Lovely. 
And it must be it must be a lovely position to be in, musical director. What kind of pieces do you choose for the choir? Well, this is my I think third year uh, in charge, and it, it is a real joy and a privilege. It's something uh, that I've never done before, really, uh, and 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 not entirely qualified for. But I do love getting in up in front of them and and, and offering what I can in terms of leadership. Uh, and and trying to inspire folk to uh, to produce a great sound, but most of all, most of all, have fun, and we certainly do that. Um, our program for this year is tremendously varied. Really, we've got uh, light music, uh, we've got music from the films, from uh, the shows, we've got TV themes, we've got a Manx song, we've got one of last year's favourites, "The Lion Sleeps Tonight." Oh, we away, oh, we away. They love that. We love that. Uh, we've got some John Denver, uh, perhaps Love. We've got some John Rutter, inevitably, for a choir. And then we've got uh, a couple of more serious pieces. We've got some Mozart, some unaccompanied Mozart, uh, a Salvation Army piece from across in America, um, and a really exciting, um, I'm not going to tell anyone about it, but uh, a new theme tune for this year. Gosh, and, and this is open to, to anyone to come along and join in. Um, is there a subscription fee or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, we, we pay is it £2 a week or something, uh, which works out at 20-odd pounds for the season. Um, so it, it doesn't doesn't cost a great deal. Um, and yeah, absolutely open to anyone who fancies coming along, having a go, uh, or resurrecting something that they, they may have done before. Um, we do sing in parts, but previous experience is very definitely not required. There are plenty of good singers there who can who can lead lead the others along. Mm-hmm. And so, no, um, it's not necessary to be able to read music then. No, certainly not. Uh, many of the choir don't read music uh, and have never never learnt to read music. But there are plenty of really good uh, musicians and singers there who will lead the others along. And we we practice hard, but we we play hard and and work hard too. Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Last Sunday saw the opening of Graham Ryder's new exhibition of paintings at the Isle Gallery in Timwald Mills. I went along and caught Graham for a quick chat about his work. So Graham, here we can see a number of local scenes. You've been living on the Isle of Man for, for a few years now. Yes. Um, and of course the first thing we realised, even before we started living here, was the variety. So, for instance, you know, we, we went to Peel, we thought, oh, this is like Cornwall. Uh, uh, went to Ramsey, um, thought it was more like Wales, uh, across going into Solby Glen, you think, well, it's, I don't know, what, what's, what's that like? Um, but amazing diversity anyway. And, of course, going to the, the beaches, because I lived in Norfolk and also painted the, the beaches in North Norfolk. Um, but the beaches here are actually really interesting because they're less like pleasure beaches, less like, say, a beach which is visited a lot, and more natural, more, more of a, a natural beach, more wildlife, more diversity of plant life. So that's been really interesting. Of course, uh, going across the mountains, seeing, going across to Selby Glen and then going through there, has been great because again you see the diversity so you've got the glens and the, so the move from my point of view being a landscape painter was was a real really good one and really rewarding um, the thing i tried to tune in to was part of the the how that how that landscape is structured 
So for instance, there's a large mountain picture in this exhibition, which is um, above, just above uh, Laxey Mines. So looking at the, um, the, the mountain or the, uh, the hillside, there, there's lots of paths that are created by uh, water coming down, uh, people presumably walking around it. Um, lots of different structures created by and the snow, there's snow at the top of it, has highlighted all of these um, structures and um, rhythms and patterns within the mountainscape. Um, and the nice thing for me at the time was to seeing the, the change of colour as well, from the, the snowy sort of top down to the very dark trees and the you know the, the colours of the grasses, all the rest. Of it. So it's the diversity and and the being able to exploit, if you like, the the rhythms and the the patterns that I've I've been able to find here, and that's that's been really rewarding for me. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and I think I think it's always interesting for um, for any native islanders or any people who've lived here for quite a considerable amount of time to see the Isle of Man through fresh eyes and it's funny how I, I recognize each of the scenes and yet they feel like they're somewhere else like especially the mountain picture that you were talking about there it's familiar I can recognize it I, I sort of I feel like I, I know the hillside and yet it's got this kind of this kind of palette that sort of um and your style it, it looks sort of alpine almost it looks like it's not of this island um you lived in a number of different places around the UK before you moved to the Isle of Man didn't you so I'm I'm imagining you've you've encountered many different landscapes which is what's opened your eyes to the variety here well mostly Norfolk um, but Norfolk is known to be flat but it's not quite as flat as as people say it is you know I, mem I remember talking to somebody on the train once and I said oh well, Norfolk's quite flat he said no well, not really not if you've been to the you know the, the plains of America uh, you know the Midwest it's, it's not flat at all uh, and there, there is a certain amount of diversity even even there but the, the, as I say, that's what really struck me, and I suppose that's what, what's, what's when somebody from somewhere else comes to somewhere and you spot that difference, then you can, you can, um, as I said, exploit that and make something from that and, and try and bring some of the experience you have about painting um, and drawing to, to that new subject. Yeah. Yeah some very unusual views I think um, the the northern plain the the sort of western coast the yeah. um, the reeds and the sand dunes I don't think they get celebrated enough no. and also um, you know so it's, it's really lovely to see them um, yeah. sort of being the, the focus of, of your attention mm. but um, these are all natural environments when you're starting a new painting yeah. What does that process look like? Do you take yourself out with an easel? Um, do you have to? Have you had to sort of get used to photography as a medium so that you can sort of use that for reference? Uh, what's 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 your process like? Right. Well, the first thing is you've got to feel something about it. So when you go somewhere, you have to. You have to. I usually walk around, and it's like you know anyone who goes to say the uh, the beach or the mountain, you walk around, and you're struck by something. Other places you could just go to and nothing hits you, nothing really, you think. And then you think, ah, yes, I can do something with this. It's got a certain light, quality of light, for instance. So if I went at the wrong time of day to one place, I might not be able to sort of tune into it. 
and yet five years later go to the same place and the light's all different and you know oh yes why didn't I see this before you know that sort of thing so that's the first part of it and then there's making drawings in a sketchbook which might be the first time you go there and then it would be uh, taking photographs making small studies I have these little pochard boxes um, which you can make small oil paintings you know just very rough things and, and that, that gives you a sort of sense of what the colours might be like and how the uh, composition might work out because you've got to find a shape for it you know does, how does because it, a painting like a photograph is an invention you know it's not the reality that we actually exist in the, the reality we walk around in you have to make decisions about how, how, it's, how you're going to depict it um, so for instance you know a, 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 a photograph might tell you something about the relationship between a, a water and the sky but the sky might be really dark dark blue or really bright blue and you you have to say, well, it's not like that. I want to get the relationship between the water and the sky and the, 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 the sky and the, the cliff face, the sky and the trees. You want to be able to get those so that th certain things look right. And that's when you have this whole sort of process of deciding how you're going to depict it. That's a bit long-winded, but you know what I mean. It's a, yeah. Um, and so, because because using oils, it's no quick process, and no. I know things have changed over the last yeah. few hundred years, so it's not yeah. quite as uh, quite quite the process it used to be. Yeah. But um, I, I imagine you must have to use um, another medium for sketching, perhaps. Yeah, usually just draw or sort of watercolor. I use watercolor. I used to teach watercolor, um, so I use that. Um, when I first moved here, actually, I got permission to use the mountain huts you know along the course of the TT so they they, they let me um, uh, use the, the huts cause, so over the winter I could go in there and not be so you know hit by the so I did some watercolors and drawings and whatnot from the from the huts which was which was great real opportunity yeah well again um, fresh eyes on a yeah. location it would never have occurred to me that actually they are fantastic locations for, yeah. for sketching and sitting out and, um, and getting some work done um, and you say you used to teach watercolour yes. what, what was your journey into art how did you become an artist though that's a very short question for, for a long answer so forgive me you know it's, it's odd because um, you, you, you can go through life and you think well I'd, there's something I, I'd want to do and all this but um, I didn't get into art until I must have been about 19 or 20. I'd never been into a museum or a gallery or anything like that. Um, and I went, uh, I got, had a job in London. So I'd commute into London and of course I'd have the lunch hours and all the rest of it. And I was based right in the centre so I could start to explore. And for the first time I went to the National Gallery and then the Tate Gallery and I saw a painting by uh, David Hockney not in real life even, just an illustration of it, a postcard of it. And I was so blown away by this postcard of Mr and Mrs Clark and Percy by David Hockney, I decided that what I was doing was just a waste of time and I'd go to art school. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that's quite, a, that's quite a sort of life-changing moment for you there. Yeah, it was. And it just, just seemed like a natural thing to do. I mean you just sort of feel at home doing something and that's and if if you if it happens and you take advantage of it then i think um 
it just seems like a sensible thing to do. <laughs> um, and we can enjoy your exhibition here at the Isle Gallery for quite a few weeks to come. Yeah. Um, can we expect to see you at maybe the Art Fest that's coming up soon? Yes. Will they still be yeah, here for that? Absolutely. Uh, they'll. Oh um, no, I think they send just before. Um, and um, I'm sort of taking part in that as well, both at Grenaby Studios, where I'll have a space, and also at the um, Hodgson Loom Gallery. So, oh, and also Peel. There's um, uh, a, um, an exhibition there, which um, I'll probably have a couple of pictures in. So I'll be taking part in that, um, which I'm looking forward to. That'd be great. Yeah. yeah, great. Yeah. Well, so plenty of opportunities to, to come and enjoy your work. If people wanted to sort of keep up to date with what's going on with you, do you have a website or something you can direct uh, people to? Yeah, it's websites in um, in the making at the moment, but it's my name plus artist when it when it comes, when it happens. I've got Instagram account, which is a bit, bit foreign to me, but I've managed it with a little bit of tuition. Yeah. And, and how are you finding that? Because um, I don't know, I know I'm a millennial, but I enjoy it as a really lovely way to kind of keep up with yeah. sort of behind the scenes of yeah. what different creatives are doing. That's, that's yeah. what I love it for. Yeah. And uh, Nicola, she was here, Nicola Dixon, uh, well, uh, was, was a group of us. And she said, well, for us, she, she said a lot of people struggle with the content. And she said, but for us, we, we've got the content. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, it was a light bulb moment. I thought, yeah, yeah she's right. Yeah. <laughs> All these pictures. Yeah. And I just, you know, had to put the two together, really. Yeah, you cre- you're creating original content every single day, even if it's a picture of your paintbrushes in the pot while your work's in process and stuff. Lovely. Well, I mean, yeah. it's, it's your name again if we wanted to follow you on Instagram. Yeah, and plus a 56 on the end. Okay. Yeah. Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. And it might seem like a long way off, but the lorry on wheels are already turning. The first act to be confirmed by the Isle of Man delegation is the Molig Band. Tchau, 
watch this space for more announcements in the coming weeks as we start to get into the festival spirit. For now, that's all we have time for, but head to the Spotlight blog for links and more details about today's guests and download a copy of this programme as a podcast on the Manx Radio website. Have a lovely creative week. Slen you.